Hi, everybody. This is Hannah Kavanagh speaking. So before we get started on the Vax Up CUNY episode, which I'm super duper excited to share with you guys, I just want to preface this episode with a couple of points because it has been a wee while since we uh, recorded and since then there have been a few new developments. So I just wanted to make sure this episode was up to date as of Thursday, May 13th, 2021. All right. So here it goes. Um, so first of all, just this past Monday, May 10th, uh, Governor Cuomo uh, mandated that all students across uh, the CUNY campuses be vaccinated in order to have in-person classes, which is huge. That's a big deal. Um, so then that so that happened. Right. And then there's also um, a brief halt in vaccine distribution, particularly with the Johnson Johnson vaccine from April 13th to April 23rd, because um, six women um all between the age of 18 and 48, developed a rare uh, blood clotting disorder out of the approximately 7 million people that got the vaccine during that time. It was more of a precautionary thing. The distribution halt was temporary. And all that stuff happened literally the day after we recorded. So it was more like a timing thing. Um, so if you notice that we didn't bring it up, um, you know why. It's because it happened literally right after we recorded. And I also want to say as well that um, Naomi, Eldridge, Nibros, and I, we all got vaccinated uh, approximately one to two months ago. Like that's kind of the window in which we all got vaccinated and we're all doing great. Uh, we're just vibing. So yeah, I guess without further ado, let's get to it. Hello, everyone. This is Hannah Cavanaugh speaking, and welcome to yet another amazing and special episode of T43. I'm here with three, three instead of two. This is a special episode, and you'll see why in a sec. But I'm with three um, amazing guests, so I'm just going to yeah introduce them to you guys. So the first guest that I'm going to introduce uh, is a senior at Macaulay at Hunter, majoring in human bio. He's a current research assistant at a Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. I would love to give a warm welcome to Nibros Ahmed. How you doing, Nibros? Thanks so much, Hannah. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited to, one, try tea and to discuss uh, the vaccine. Two very pleasant things, I think, that are coming up. <laughs> hey, well, thank you for being on the show. This is so exciting. Um, all right. And so the next guest that I'm going to be introducing is a current med student at CUNY Medical School, as well as a vaccine site volunteer at City College, really out here doing the most, like, freaking hero. I would love to give a warm welcome to Naomi Ligon. How are you doing, Naomi? Hi, I'm doing really well. Just grateful to really be here. I love tea, so hey. enjoying my tea. <laughs> That's so exciting. Awesome. And um, so last and certainly not least, I would like to introduce a recent Leesman College alum that majored in communications, journalism, and media, and is currently the communications and media relations assistant at the CUNY um, Athletic Conference. I would love to give a warm welcome to Eldridge Chavez. How you doing, Eldridge? Thanks, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. Um, looking forward to this conversation. Uh, take a little zip of my tea and uh, definitely, you know, ready to discuss uh, the vaccination process. Hey, happy to hear it. All right. So are you three ready to try some tea? Yes. yes. All right. Awesome. So who would like to go first in terms of describing what tea you have today, describing the notes for the listeners, that sort of thing? Uh, I'll go first. Okay, cool. Uh, so I am, I'm not a tea drinker, like we mentioned uh, 
off camera. Uh, but I just grabbed whatever was in my cubby, and it was a decaf green tea. Uh, didn't do anything special with it. Just added some some sugar, some honey, a little bit of milk, and uh, go try it out right now. Um, definitely taste the honey. Uh, so I like that. It's a really smooth taste. Um, the green tea, can't really make up too much of it. Uh, but definitely enjoy it. Again, like I said, I'm not much of a tea drinker. But uh, from a scale of 1 to 10, uh, just to satisfy my taste buds, I would give it a solid 7. Hey, not bad. Nice. And the central perk mug was a nice touch. Love that. Ah, uh, yeah. Hey. Uh, I love friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, who would like to go next? Floor is yours. I think, yeah, I can go next. So um, I'll take a sip. I'm drinking some white lemon ginger tea. That sounds so good. Mm. And um, so good. And I added uh, Trader Joe's has a new new floral New Zealand honey, so I put that in there. Ooh. Yeah, and it's like a cream honey, so it's really nice. Yeah, so it, it tastes really good. Definitely taste the um, ginger. I don't taste the lemon as much as I would have thought I would taste the lemon, but I still really love it. So yeah, I would give it an eight out of ten. Nice. Okay. Pretty nice. cool. Cool stuff. And yeah, what about you, Nebras? What are you drinking tonight? All right, so mine is kind of similar to Eldridge's. Uh, I went for a green tea as well, but I went for the Moroccan mint, I think, from Trader Joe's. I had this one in the back of my cabinet for a while. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I, I think I may have steeped this one a little bit too long. I went the thermos route, so we'll see. Oh, cheers. Steeped it for way too long. <laughs> very, very minty. But it's okay. Um, I would definitely say I like the mint. Maybe not at the level that I have it right now. Uh, so <laughs> I'll give it a five with the potential to move up to a seven to eight with proper steeping. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I mean, no worries. Least, uh, that's true. It could be worse. All right. So I'm actually drinking... Um, Stash's pomegranate raspberry green tea. I also took a green tea route. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I've actually, I've had this tea before, but I haven't had it in a really long time. So I just need to you know, blow on it because it's kind of hot. And then, huh. Okay. I, it doesn't taste as much like green tea as I thought it would. Like, it's definitely much more of a fruity tea. Um, I'm getting robust notes of pomegranate. Um, it's super nice. I feel like it'd be really good for iced tea. Like if you cooled it and just added some like wee bit honey, wee bit of fruit in there during the summer, um, I think it'd be great. But it's also great warm too. So I'm just going to give it, um, I'm going to go with Eldridge on this one. I'm going to give it a solid seven. Yeah. Nice. All right. So now that we sipped the tea, we are going to be spilling the deets on COVID-19 vaccinations, which is a super important topic, uh, heavily prevalent right now. And um, now that everyone over the age of 16 is eligible, um, it's important to kind of talk about this and why it's so important. Um, yeah. So the first question that I have for you guys is like, um, let's go back in time, right? Like right when the pandemic, when we were in the worst of the pandemic, when the vaccine was still in clinical trials. Um, I'm just wondering, like, what was the quarantine experience like for you? And how did you when did you ex expect like vaccines to be available initially? Um, I mean, I could go first. Uh, so uh, working with Kenya Athletics, uh, I had to take public transportation um, and we had to I had to go through uh, Main Street and Flushing, uh, which is basically kind of like just Chinatown uh, for the Queen section. 
And I want to say probably the first week of February, I started noticing maybe like one or two people coming into the bus with a mask on. And at the time, I, you know, to be honest, I was pretty ignorant to the whole, uh, the reasoning of, of wearing a mask. So I was like, in the back of my mind, like, oh, so this person doesn't want to get my germs, you know, yada, 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 things like that. Um, and then progressively, week by week, I started noticing like more and more people coming in with masks. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Like, I kind of like paid attention a little bit to the news. Like, I wasn't, you know, too informed uh, of the, the COVID that was happening uh, in China, but definitely it was showing here in, in the States, uh, at least in the city. Um, and I want to say probably by, maybe the last week of February, first week of March, 90% of the people who was in the bus all had masks on except for me. And I'm like, and I look outside the window and probably I would say six out of every 10 person I saw out the window was wearing a mask. I was like, okay, this is like serious. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of try to stay ahead of it. You know, I, I, I did the whole, let me go to BJ's and stock up kind of thing. Um, they didn't do the they didn't do the, the toilet paper nonsense. I, mean, I didn't like go to the aisle and wipe everything out. But you know, I definitely try to get prepared and you know got the, the essentials, you know, the, the clocks, wipes, things like that. Um and then um, you know, we, we shut down in the middle of March. Uh and then it was then it was like, okay, so this is you know, no joke. Um obviously, you know, I, I try to keep me and my my immediate family, you know, my girlfriend and I were living and my mom were living on the same household. Uh, so I try my best to kind of keep all of us safe. And, you know, it wasn't until uh, the last week of March when it kind of hit me more personally. Uh, my, my oldest brother, um, you know, got sick with COVID and he passed away in, in April, uh, April 5th. So we just made a year last, uh, last week. I'm so sorry. Um, no, no, no. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so the pandemic definitely changed my perspective when that happened. Yes, I was aware of it. Yes, I was kind of like cautious of it. But you know, having that sudden impact on me definitely put me in in the space where I wasn't comfortable with anything. Like I was petrified to go outside. I was basically like a hermit. Um, and to this day, it's it's still something that bothers me. Um, obviously, when the, met, when the months kept going by and, you know, be more informative, you know, taking the necessary precautions and then the talk of the vaccine started happening. Um, I was a little more, I guess, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, but a little more like, like I see the light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. And uh, I for sure knew once the vaccination was going to pop up, that I was going to take it regardless. Like I didn't care what was in it, you know, all these talks about all these things that, you know, could could affect us. I owed it to my brother. I owed it to the person next to me. I owed it to my girlfriend who, who's sitting on my left right now. Um, I owe it to my immediate family to take this vaccination and, and really be part of the solution and, and stop this spread. And um, it, yeah, the, the, the whole experience, the whole pandemic definitely hit its like fatigue, like no doubt. Uh, you know, and especially the, the, the seven o'clock ringing the bells definitely hit me hard because, you know, we had to, you know, pay our respects and, and give thanks to the people who are the frontline workers. Uh, but it was just a constant reminder of, you know, my, my brother passing away in the hospital and passing away, uh, you know, alone. Um, so it was definitely hard. And um, it wasn't until, and I know this is about vaccinations, uh, but it wasn't until I started getting, you know, mental help that it's kind of started helping a little bit, little by little. And I think that's an important topic for anyone who's going 
to something similar that I went through or, you know, just dealing with the pandemic itself. Like it, it, there's more outlets out there uh, than just a vaccination to make you feel safe. Uh, but definitely uh, once I got vaccinated, you know, I was lucky enough to be vaccinated last month in March. Um, kind of skipped the line on that one. I, I didn't really didn't qualify, but you know, kind of maneuvered my way around. Um, there was kind of like, uh, you know, CUNY uh, professors were eligible for vaccinations. Uh, and since I'm a CUNY staff member, um, I kind of use that to my advantage to get the vaccination early. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm skipping ahead and I feel like I'm taking a lot of the conversational part, but, but, no, you know, good, we can, okay. we can move on. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, I, I think the pand- pandemic itself and the, the whole quarantine uh, definitely gave me a perspective on stuff and, you know, made me realize on things that I, I took for granted and uh, definitely trying to, you know, move forward from it right now. For sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about your brother. Like that's, that's so tough to go through. I mean, especially like that, that was to have that all the pandemic and that happen all at once. Like I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, unfortunately my, my family, you know, relatives, we, we, we fit the demographics of people who got positive. Uh, I know almost all my uncles and my aunts, you know, came down with COVID, um, couple of my close cousins came down with it. Uh, then I have relatives in different countries. You know, I'm, I'm from Ecuador. Uh, so my uncle in Ecuador also passed away from, from COVID. Wow. Uh, so unfortunately, you know, we definitely hit the demographics of people of color um, coming down with this virus. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it gives you a different perspective when you know it's around you, but then when it hits you personally as well, it's kind of like, I want to keep my comments to myself when I see someone who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it's hard. That's rough. Um, yeah, but like Nebras, Naomi, like what was your experience like with quarantine and with quarantining? And also, like, when did you think the vaccine would like hit the market? Did you think it would be as soon as it was? Or like, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think I was definitely shocked when it came out this fast. Uh, I, you know, nothing like a global pandemic to bring us forward, I would say, you know, nearly a decade and vaccine technology or you know, at least several years ahead of where we would be otherwise. And to really put, um, you know, the pedal to the metal. And I think I did personally, um, you know, I, I would I don't have a full grasp on the timeline of, you know, making a vaccine, at least at the beginning of the pandemic. So I would often defer to my lab members at, at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And they were saying, you know, this is going to be a while. Uh, they, they weren't expecting anything anytime soon. And I think I was on that boat as well. Um, you know, uh, and of course, you know, not to get too political, but the president at that time was kind of saying, you know, we'll have one by January. We'll have one by January. And I was like, there's no way in, in, in hell that this is going to happen. We're going to even have something by January. Um, you know, the political influence aside, this was all, I think, it, uh, in my opinion, it was partially the funding that, you know, um, expedited this process. And two, the potential for profit, <laughs> I think, really, really drove all these pharmaceutical companies to really, again, push the pedal to the metal. And they are, unfortunately, taking advantage <laughs> of that aspect of the pandemic is, you know, really pushing for the profit. And that's something I hope will change in the near future, that there are going to be a lot more vaccines that pop up that are more accessible on a global scale. But, you know, here in the U.S., we are fortunate enough to be in a country where vaccine supply is not really an issue. 
And uh, I just feel so lucky and, you know, I, I feel so grateful that um, I was, I fortunately was able to get the vaccine uh, in February because I, I work in um, a, a research lab. So, uh, and we interact with the hospital members and uh, I, I, <laughs> you know, I, when talking to family members or uh, friends who are like, you know, like, oh, wait, you got it? Like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, <laughs> don't worry about me. Like, I will take a fever for a day versus the potential long-term implications of COVID or, you know, there, there's so much, the, murky, the waters are murky. So um, I was very, very pleasantly surprised to have gotten it as early as I did. And uh, both on a national scale and also an individual scale, fortunately, being on the front lines because like, so I know I was feeling very neurotic uh, going on the subway uh, constantly like sanitizing my hands because I needed to go into lab but I didn't necessarily uh, feel comfortable doing so so that was kind of something that I felt as someone who felt obligated to be working during the pandemic in person. For, sure. For me um, in the beginning in terms of the vaccine thinking when it would come out, I thought for sure that it would be at least two years. And that was with the price for like thinking that the process was going to be expedited. I still thought it would be two years to get there because I, I had a little bit of an idea of how long it takes to get medicines out on the market and how many researchers spend lifetimes trying to push medication or even a vaccine. It takes a like, it takes around five years to, um, it has to be tested and it has to go through all these different processes. So I also was a little bit surprised, not a little bit. I also was surprised when it came out as fast as it did, but I also didn't really question um, how fast it was. Like Nibras had said, because of the funding and also because there was a need. And so I feel like that really pushed the researchers to push themselves. And it was kind of um, eye opening to see how much that researchers could get done if they just, put the pedal to the metal and decided to just buckle down and get things done. But I also think people need to realize or recognize rather that um, the speed, while we were able to do it for the vaccine, it's only because of the funding and the need for other research. A lot of uh, the arguments that I've been hearing is, oh, if it's taking so long for all these other research things, or we don't have a cure for cancer, we don't have a cure for HIV or a vaccine for HIV, how is that possible? For us to bring out the COVID vaccine so fast, it's because of the money, it's because of the funding, and it's because there was. It's a different type of um, of virus. I think that a lot of people don't really truly understand the type of virus that coronavirus nineteen is or COVID nineteen is, and that's why there was so much, so many questions about it. And then um, for me, I haven't been. I've only been able to get my first dose because it was. It's only recently become available to. Um, the third year undergraduates within the CUNY School of Medicine, they're making sure that we get it because we have a class in which we have to start going um, in person to clinical rotations and also anatomy. You can't really teach anatomy virtually. We have to be able to um, dissect the cadavers. So yeah, that's where they're making sure that we get vaccinated. And when the, at the start of the whole pandemic, quarantining for me was a bit of a... Um, not quarantining was a challenge, but I had been living on campus. And at first, yeah, so I got sent home. So at first um, they were saying, oh, we might not send everybody home. Like, especially because I know within the towers, there are international students. CCNY is a commuter school primarily. So the people who live in the towers 
usually need to live in the towers because either they're international students and they also had a program for um, foster kids. Once they age out of the system, if they wanted to live in the towers for school, they could live there. They didn't have anywhere to go because the state took over the building. So at first they were gonna let us live there, but then the state took over the building. So I got sent home and that was a bit hard because it's a bit difficult for me to um, study at home. I lived with my grandmother, my aunt, my mom and my brother. So it was a lot of people in the house. Um, so my mom, my brother and I, we moved back into the house that we lived in when we were, when we were younger. Um, so that was also another shift, another change that I had to kind of go through during that time. Um, Academically, it was also very hard because within the CUNY School of Medicine, the Sophie Davis program, um, your under, second undergraduate year is when you really start taking those hard medical school classes that prepare you for medical school. Yeah. Um, and we were taking a class called molecules to, molecules to Cells, which is, it actually spans over two semesters with the summer in between. So it was really hard to start that class in person and be so engaged and then have like a two week break and kind of get a little bit locked out and then have to try to come back and figure out how to um, readjust my study schedule online and maintain that, especially through the summer. It was just, a, and with everything that was going on in the world, not really understanding. And like I said before, I had to move out my grandmother's house. Um, so I was trying to also cope with like switching places as well. So that was just a lot going on at once. Same. Yeah. It's, I had a very similar experience because I was actually, I've been dorming, uh, sorry, I've been dorming at Brookdale pretty much since my freshman year. And then when second semester, sophomore year. Yeah. And that, well, that's when like COVID hit for, you know, mm -hmm. at least for me in my timeline, like for me. And so I, I was only in Brookdale for maybe about a year and a half. And I considered it like a second home. Like all my friends were there. And that for me, it was like, yeah, it was a second home for me. So it was really tough to, and I really stuck it out for as long as I possibly could. There was a point where pretty much most people left Brookdale and I was like this one of the few stragglers that were really <laughs> left. Like I was holding on for dear life. And then, um, you know, CUNY notified us and said, hey, you have three days to move out. And I was like, holy crap, like how is this going to work? There's hundreds of students at Brookdale. We can't socially distance. I don't know how this is going to work. And it's funny because I think it really hit for me when I saw people like really kind of clearing out like in a mad rush and everyone was wearing masks. And this was at a time when masks were like really difficult to get. They were because they were in such high demand. So for me, like I had my daft like latex gloves on <laughs> because I thought <laughs> this was at the time where like it's crazy how with information, like, you know, we learned so yeah. much over time. Right. And at that time, like, it was commonly believed that coronavirus was spread through like touch. Touching you know a knob. I mean? yeah. yeah. Through touching like an infected object. So I had like my daft latex gloves on and everyone had their masks on. And I was like, what's going on here? Um, yeah. But then once, you know, yeah, once we were under lockdown, like that's when it really hit for me. And then with the remote learning, that was, you know, super challenging. But I honestly, I was really down in the dump because I, like you guys, like I didn't think that a vaccine, that the vaccine would roll out this fast or would be, manufactured and approved for use this quickly because um, I was doing my research on um, the H1N1 pandemic, the Spanish flu pandemic from uh, 1918. And I found out that, you know, that took it took two to three years for people to kind of get back to normal in that regard. So I just assumed, OK, for COVID, it's probably going to be a very similar thing. Um, 
So I was, I was feeling depressed for a while. And then when I found, when I found out in December that, you know, uh, healthcare workers were now eligible to get vaccinated and that, you know, things were starting to like kick up and roll out. I was like, holy cow, it's crazy that it happened in such record time. Um, and I never really questioned it because I just was told like, you know, trust the public healthcare workers. They know what they're doing. And yeah, and that's something that's a realm that I knew nothing about. So for me, it's like, I'm going to put all my trust in public healthcare workers. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of, that's kind of the train of thought that I had. Um, but just out of curiosity, like in regards to the vaccination process, like what was it like for you three? I know for you, Naomi, like you have a different take on it. <laughs> on vaccine site volunteer. And like, thank you so much for, volu- I mean, it's such important work. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, super cool. Um, but yeah, just for the three of you guys, like what was the vaccination process like for you? And yeah, what vaccine did you get? And yeah, just tell me what that was like. Yeah, and I, I think you definitely touched upon something important there, which is like, it is totally unexpected to have yeah. and unprecedented to have a vaccine this quickly. And I think if you dive into, and I think that also factors into a lot of the hesitancy with taking that vaccine, like this is too quick. Something's fishy is going on here. And and for those of you who are listening, I'm using air quotes because it is not fishy uh, because there's, there's a specific reason why the vaccines came out so fast. And that's because these vaccines are different uh, than the vaccines that you would receive for the, uh, for your flu shot, um, as opposed to uh, containing, um, you know, an attenuated version of a virus or a dead version of a virus that you're putting into someone's body, these new vaccines, I mean, everyone's talking about mRNA technology, but the, I, I guess, the uh, layman's explanation is that you can now produce this vaccine just by knowing the genetic sequence of the proteins that are being expressed. And, uh, only a vaccine like that could be made in this period of time so fast. And that's why the Pfizer, the Moderna, the mRNA vaccines are the first ones to come out and, uh, and be given to people. And there's a reason why they're, uh, the more traditional vaccines are taking a little bit more time. And that's because that is the traditional timeline for making a vaccine. Um, the mRNA ones have this new mechanism that makes it so much easier to produce and manufacture it, which is why it came along so much faster. And this technology has been uh, a decade, at least, in the making. And people have been really trying to push to figure out, you know, how can we do this? And it only took a global pandemic to really propel us forward uh, so fast. So uh, for me, you know, getting that vaccine was like getting the new iPhone. I was like, holy crap, this is like crazy. (laughs) (laughs) This is like, like, (laughs) like it was just such a new thing. And I was so excited because this is a huge improvement on what has already been there. This this mRNA technology is such a market improvement over previous vaccines. And the data was there and there is very minimal, um, chance of having any adverse event and was 100% effective nearly, and or I believe it was 100% effective in preventing all cases of serious illness. So as soon as I was able, I was checking my email every single day to see when I would get um, that qualification from my institution. And it, the second I got it was the first time, like I leapt on the chance to uh, sign up and take it. And for me, it was, uh, you know, a very... I guess 
unexpectedly kind of mundane <laughs> experience. You know, you kind of walk into the building or for me, it was where I work. So I just kind of walked in and there was just a waiting room. And I think, you know, in this waiting room, I almost, maybe this is just me kind of projecting, but it almost felt like there was like a little bit of an aura of like hope where, you know, everyone is starting to see the other side of it here. You're now surrounded by a group of people who hopefully are starting their way to be on the other side of this pandemic and leading that way. And I think just hearing the names called is just, it's just an exciting thing. This is something that I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't expect it for years to come. And yet here it is that kind of definitive moment where you're getting that first shot. And it's, it's really like, it's going to be a memory that I hold on to forever. I think is getting that first shot. And, you know, it was Monday. It was Lou, just a lady coming up to me being like, okay, uh, here's your shot. And then just, here, or here's the information here. You can flip through the pamphlet and then kind of, all right, here's a shot and you're all done. And I was, you know, for something that it can have such a huge impact on our daily function, you would think that, I don't know. I almost expected like streamers to go off or like some party to, to, to kick off <laughs> once I got the vaccine, but it was just, okay, all right, you're, you're on your way. I didn't even get a sticker. I am a little bit salty about that, but, <laughs> but you know, it, I think it's it's a memory that I think I will cherish forever, and I think it's it's a turning point for sure. And I think getting that second shot was what, what was a little bit different, of course, because that's when the for me that was when the vaccine rollout was starting to become more wider to the public, and where some of my relatives were asking me about, you know, are you, aren't you scared for the second shot? I heard this and this happens for the second shot. I heard this and this happens for the second shot, and I had friends who had already gotten the second shot, and they were saying relax. Like, don't even worry about it. It's fine. It's a fever for a day, if anything at all. And being on the other side, I think it was my duty to assure other people to say, look, this is fine. Like you, you should be comfortable taking this, you know? Uh, and I kind of had to do a little bit of PR on my end to make sure that the people who were kind of closest to me were those who were also as eager as I was, I had to be a hype man for <laughs> for the vaccine, and I'm not on one particular team, but I did get the Moderna one, <laughs> and uh, it. I'm very very happy for it. You're doing the most hype man, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like Eldridge Naomi, like what were your um, what was the vaccination process like for the both of you? Naomi, you could go. Okay. For me, um, getting the vaccine itself, I got it after my second day of volunteering um, for the volunteering, like helping people being a flow monitor um, come in and get the vaccine. But that wasn't the first time I had attempted to go and get it. So when I first um, was scheduling myself to get one, because I have asthma, so I was one of the adults who have um, a comorbidity or an, an extenuating, um, another illness, I, it was very hard actually finding a place to get a vaccine at. I had to go online like every day on the website, the vaccine fire website to try to find a place. And every day there would be like a couple of slots open and they would close just like that, like right before my eyes. And I, that was going on for about two weeks before I was finally able to schedule um, one for a place that's all the way in the Bronx. I live in Brooklyn. So I think that might, I was thinking about that when I was um, scheduling mine, that might also be a factor for people not wanting to the vaccine. It's so hard to even schedule it. 
um, and it might not even be in your borough. And all of the places at that time um, were like the Walgreens that would be close to my house that were giving the vaccine were only giving it to people 65, um, ages of 65 and older. And uh, you know, a lot of people were hearing about if you come at the end of the day, you can still get a vaccine, but actually at Walgreens and places like that, it's illegal for them to give out even extra doses of the vaccine to people who are under the age of 65. And that's something that not a lot of people were talking about. So people were going, trying to get those extra vaccines and just getting turned away. And I feel like that also really disheartened a lot of people. Um, but then I had to, to get a booster shot for the the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine because um, they looked for my titers for my physical for school and they weren't there. So I had to wait two weeks in order to actually get my first dose. And the two week mark actually just happened to be um, the second day that I was volunteering. So at the end of the day, um, after giving making sure everyone else got their vaccines, I sat down for my vaccine. And I also had like a moment of like, I felt like I was doing something, being a part of history. Like I felt like, I also felt like there should have been some streamers or balloons or like a little sign, like, you know, like you just got vaccinated, but yeah, it still felt like a really momentous occasion. I felt like I was doing something to kind of um, push all of this forward, even just a little bit. And so that was really rewarding. Um, I also feel like I had a diff, uh, another perspective getting it after like having seen all the people who have gotten it. And something I that I noticed that also made me kind of a little bit sad is that the reason why they wanted CCNY to be a vaccine hub was so that it could service the West Harlem community, that the Harlem Heights community, which tends to be people of color. And the people who were on the lines, there were definitely way more people who, who weren't of color than people of color. And that made me very sad because um, these people were coming from Queens, Brooklyn, lower Manhattan to come get the vaccine at CCNY and the people, the community it was actually trying to service weren't even coming in to get the vaccine. Um, so that's just something I found interesting. Kind of made me sad. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I totally agree. Um, I think, uh, you know, communities of uh, ethnic, ethnic backgrounds uh, just, just lack the the resources, I guess, uh, or, or maybe doing the due diligence of uh, actually like looking for the information that they, they need, and they probably rely more on the media to give them that information. Mm -hmm. And since there's such a split, political or not, about receiving this vaccination, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. And I, I almost had the same experience with, with like you know, I mean, like uh, you know, when I got vaccinated, I, I got the Johnson Johnson one, and it was at Yankee Stadium. Um, and I was in and out. I was like, what the heck is this? Like, how is it me being out? I had an appointment for, I think it was 12.30 a.m., something like that. And I got there at 12.15, 12.20, and there was no one in line. No one. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is an opportunity to kind of like, well, you guys said, like, be a part of history and kind of have that the past 2020 behind us in the rearview mirror and kind of look forward into, like, a, a, a new chapter in our lives. And it was me and, you know, the guy who was checking IDs. I'm like, this is unreal. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I made my way inside uh, Yankee Stadium, and that was kind of cool to see this part of it, that, you know, not just at the baseball field. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I went on. I got in line. And then the the nurse who uh, or the lady who, who, who gave me my shot kind of like what uh, Libra said, that 
I was like, all right, here you go. Boom. You, you get a little soreness on your in my left arm. Um, you know, she wished me luck. She shared some stories, um, you know, some some personal ones with her. Uh, and just, you know, just her experience about working in the hospital and being in the front lines. And, you know, so it touched me because, uh, you know, she and I had similar similar stories to, to the pandemic. And, um, you know, the, the, the couple of days after, you know, I did get the symptoms. Uh, you know, I, I, I had the fever, nothing too high. I think the highest was maybe 99.9, maybe touched 100. Um, but the next few days, yeah, I was definitely sore. Uh, my body was sore. Uh, I was telling my girlfriend, it was kind of like, I felt like I got jumped by like 20 people. Um, I, my body was hurting. My back was hurting. My legs were hurting. Um, I didn't have a headache. Um, and again, like the, like, like Nibra said that the fever just lasted a day, but the soreness and, and just the, the muscle ache definitely lasted about, you know, three or four days. Um, but you know, I was happy with it. I, I'm glad that I was able to do it. Um, you know, it coincidentally, it fell on the month, uh, anniversary of my brother's passing. Uh, you know, so I got it on March 5th. So I kind of like felt like, all right, this is you, Lewis. Like my brother had something to do with me getting the, the vaccination. Um, but yeah, but that was my experience and, and it, it wasn't too hard for me to set up an appointment. Uh, cause you know, I, <laughs> during this whole time I was constantly on Twitter, like looking at, you know, governor Cuomo's Twitter feed and just every time he, he updated with, you know, another, you know, batch of vaccinations or another, you know, group of people who are eligible. I was like, all right, let me try Let me try Let me try. Uh, so to get, to get my appointment was pretty easy. Um, and, but again, like, it, it's just sad to, to see that some of these communities aren't, aren't taking advantage of it. And now that other people are taking advantage, it's harder for them to, to get this appointment that's needed. Um, right now, I'm not too sure how it is. Like, I, mostly everyone that I know has been vaccinated already. Um, so I don't know how, uh, how, how the process is going now. Like, I don't know if it's, if I go online right now, I don't know if 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 they're all used up already or not. Yeah. And I guess this is, you know, maybe this is kind of an artifact of the past one, you know, <laughs> past meeting just a few months ago. But uh, like, there there was almost a moment where in time, uh, if you had some sort of priority access to the vaccine and you weren't over the age of 65, there was, I almost felt an air of vaccine shaming, like, oh, I shouldn't be getting it. Someone else should have gotten it instead of me. I'm not over, I'm not... Uh, having these pre-existing conditions, I might, um, I'm at lower risk for serious illness. And personally, I never, and I think it's important to, to, to discuss that, I never felt that shame that I had priority access to the vaccine. And uh, even though some people told me I should. <laughs> and I think it's because one, uh, the social networks who you're interacting with is really, really, really important. If I'm interacting with physicians on a daily basis, if I'm interacting with hospital patients, then I should get the vaccine and that should be it. And uh, to that end, it's every person who gets it is another person who can tell someone else to get it. And you shouldn't be passing up on that opportunity because someone else might get it because one, that's not how vaccine distribution works. <laughs> and two, it's if you get your chance, then you can help the people around you. And that vaccine will not necessarily go to someone in more need. It's just going to go to the next person. Um, and there's no there's no one to judge, you know, is this person going to be more in need than you? Let's prioritize. And I think the vaccine distribution at the beginning, some people had some issues with. And 
that's definitely a very, very valid criticism. But if you have that opportunity to get it, and now all of us uh, who, are, who uh, fit the target demographic of, I believe it's um, over 16, then you should be getting this vaccine. And if you have access to it and you are able to schedule an appointment, do not feel any vaccine shame, to, uh, especially at this point, now that everyone's qualified, you should be bragging <laughs> that, that you got that that you got that iPhone, that you got that exclusive thing that other people want and other people should want. And you should make, other, like, maybe this might be a little bit too extreme or extreme, <laughs> but I kind of, like, when other people feel envy that, you know, you have the vaccine, then that's almost a good thing. You want people to yearn for that vaccine because we're not having the issues that we had a few months ago where there uh, a few supply work. Now the supplies have increased dramatically and you want people to be scheduling those appointments. And that's why I think the PR part is important. And you shouldn't be ashamed that you had priority access or that you are vaccinated. It shouldn't be something to be shameful. Of. It should be a source of pride, I think. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point that you brought up because I never even thought about it like that. Like when people would get envious of other people getting the vaccine, it's like why are you just like just be be happy that they got it. You know what I mean? So it's interesting that you brought in that different perspective. I never thought about it that way. And yeah, it's a great point. Um I'm also happy that like I'm glad that this came up as well because I definitely I mean the inequality regarding vaccinations because that's something I definitely noticed as well when I booked my appointment. Um, so I was actually, I recently got a job as a hostess at this bar in Bushwick. And as soon as I finished my training session, um, the owner of the, of the bar gave me, a, you know, the employee, the employer letter kind of saying, Hey, you know, you're eligible to get vaccinated. Um, I got that literally on a Sunday, Sunday night, I went on the NYC vaccination site and I got really lucky. I ended up getting um, an appointment for 410 the next day in the Bronx. And granted, that's like 90 minutes away from the dorms at Brookdale. But I'm like, hey, I'll take it. Like, I'll take any appointment. But that's something like you touched upon a good point, Naomi. Like when I arrived at the vaccination site, it was pretty much everyone that was there. That Everyone was white, for one thing. And then also everyone that was there, like they were clearly, they were not from the Bronx. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, and so that that definitely bothered me. And I think there was a sense of guilt that I felt personally because it's like these, like this vaccination should, well, these vaccines should be going to people that live in this area. They should not really be going to people. You know what I mean? That's why there's vaccination sites all throughout the city. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of guilt that I felt um, in regards to that, like as I was waiting. Um, but I guess in terms of my whole vaccine journey, um, I was really <laughs> rushing to get there because I thought, oh, you know, if I don't show up at 410, if I show up at like 412, like I'm screwed. That's what I thought. So I was literally <laughs> running to the vaccine site. I was panting. And then when I went to sign in, the lady was like, okay, breathe. Are you okay? Do you need water? I'm like, no, I'm good. I was just rushing to get here on time. And then she said, actually, there's a 12 hour grace period. So you don't need to be there right at 410. I was like, okay, good. So what ended up happening was that I was online to get vaccinated. And I actually felt, I got really emotional because I felt like that this was such a historic moment. And there was a sense of relief that I felt because we've been in the thick of it for a whole year. And this has been a super, like, we're it's been a traumatic experience for everybody. Some much more so than others. You know what I mean? Like there's people that have been personally affected with COVID. There's people that were, primarily affected with just the quarantining aspect of it. But this has been traumatic in varying levels for for everyone to some extent. And so I kind of felt all those moments really coming 
back to me as I was sitting down to get vaccinated. I almost cried like I was I was getting that emotional, just kind of reflecting on everything that happened the past year. And so I couldn't help but feel like a huge sense of relief when I finally got vaccinated, vaccinated. Like, granted, it was really sore. Uh, it was probably like <laughs> the most painful vaccine I've ever gotten. I mean, I'm, I, I don't usually feel like a lot of pain when I get vaccines and I don't I don't really feel anything. But with this, like I definitely was like, oh, OK. Um, but then after that, you know, I I waited. Everything was good. And honestly, like all I've, I felt a sore arm for like a couple of days after getting vaccinated, but then I also got like a massive headache. Um, and I had that for a couple of days as well, but overall it was nothing, it was nothing too serious. Um, but I think in the back of my mind, there was like a, I felt a little, like a tiny, tiny bit scared because a couple of weeks before getting vaccinated, a good friend of mine sent me a bunch of these articles from, I'm putting this in air quotes, independent epidemiologists claiming that the COVID vaccine wasn't safe, that it was killing people, that it was causing blood clots. And I was like, and I granted, like I, a huge part of me knew that that wasn't true. Cause that, you know, the majority of people are on board with, you know, the fact that these COVID-19 vaccines are definitely safe. But then a small part of me was like, Oh my God, but what if, ah, so I was kind of like, a little weirded out by that but I was just wondering like is there did you encounter any misinformation in regards to the vaccine and like what did what did that entail and how did you feel about hearing that sort of thing I think for me um I definitely was hearing a lot of different things from a lot of different sources even my dad was sending me articles but every single time someone sent me an article or tried to say something I would ask them for their sources and if it came from like the Onion or The Guardian. I, I just looked at. I was like, please, just make sure your sources are like re reputable sources. Like, say something that's gone into a journal or something that has been um, peer reviewed by at least some other researchers before you you come and bring it to me and try to like scare me with all this information. And I think um, thinking about like other people getting all different types of information and what you were saying earlier about how you just decided you, like you trust the public health workers because they know so much more than you uh, or not more than you, but like more than you about this topic. In field. <laughs> yeah. In this field. In that field yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about all the people who probably are getting this information from close loved ones, from family members, and, and they're going to feel like they want to trust their family members because they're their family members. But uh, they, I think everyone just needs to make sure they know where the information is coming from because there's information coming from every single different which way. And it's really hard to filter through all of it and really figure out for yourself, like, what is the truth? Especially with everyone saying all these different things, things on Twitter, things on Instagram, Facebook, coming from everywhere. For sure. Yeah, 100%. And I think that goes with, without saying that, it definitely plays an impact on the demographics, you know, uh, if, if, if someone who, sorry, if someone who believes like anything that's thrown at them, especially in, like in social media or so email chain, like, you know, Hannah, let's say you did believe that email chain about all these different side effects that you might got in blood clots and stuff like that. If you didn't do your own research and you just solely relied on, you know, outsourced information, then you probably wouldn't have gotten vaccinated. And you know, it, it, again, and this is why I talk about you know the demographics and people just need to do their due diligence and, and really, you know, like Naomi said, what's your resource? 
Like if your resource is some Photoshop Facebook post, that's nothing. Like you're just reading garbage. And, you know, I personally didn't come across anything like that. Like I try to like just tone, you know, the noise out. I, you know, I did my own research. I, I looked up at both the Johnson John, the, the Moderna, the Pfizer. Um, and I felt comfortable getting whichever one, you know, was going to give me, whichever one's going to be given to me. Um, I did see the, you know, the, the fake posts and stuff like that, but I didn't, I didn't pay mind to it because I just knew like I'm doing my own research. And if I feel comfortable with what I read and if I, I feel comfortable with the, the sources I used, then you could throw me, you know, some dumb Photoshop post about someone, you know, losing something. And I, I don't want to get too graphic about it, but I'm not going to believe it because like Naomi said, like, what's your source? Like the onion? No, forget <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think something that I do whenever I encounter, unfortunately, I do have a couple of friends <laughs> who, uh, who do propagate kind of misinformation sometimes. And uh, what I'll do is I, I like to pose a hypothetical, which is, you know, what if someone told you that uh, there was a vaccine that uh, for months after you got the vaccine, uh, you would experience a lot of neurological issues, or some people would experience a lot of neuro- uh, neurological issues, uh, memory issues, or others would have reoccurring uh, fluid filling their lungs, or others would propose not feeling sick for a day, but feeling sick for weeks. And what if that vaccine also killed many, many people over the age of 65? And what if this vaccine was for an illness that would otherwise make you have a fever for a day. And almost every single time, my friends who would report this misinformation would be like, yeah, I would take that. That vaccine sounds awful. I would never take that vaccine. I'd rather just get the illness. And I would say, yeah, except I flip what happens with COVID-19 and what happens with the vaccine. It is actually COVID-19, right, that causes these neurological problems, potentially. It is COVID-19 that kills people over the age of 65 very uh, too often. Um, it is COVID-19 that uh, can potentially cause refilling fluid of the lungs. And it is the vaccine that instead will give you, at worst, probably a fever for a day. Um, and, you know, when you pose it like that, people realize that they don't really have an issue with what happens when you get the vaccine. They have an issue with something new coming at them. And it is just their initial urge to resist that. It's more comfortable for them to say, I'll just tough it out. I'll just get, you know, the virus. And once you separate the facts from their frame of mind and say, look, if you're proposed with these facts, and if you know that this vaccine, you know, what is the alternative, right? What are the potential downfalls of this vaccine in your mind? What do you think is the worst that could happen? How much of that is actually verified, like, like you guys mentioned, by statistically significant, and the emphasis there is statistically significant because I know that uh, France is acting on evidence that is not statistically significant, uh, specifically that blood clots with regards to the AstraZeneca vaccine. And, you know, you, you have to pose alternatives, right? Um, which is what is it, uh, just this minor bit of uncertainty about the fever, again, for a day or soreness for a couple of days versus the potential detriment of death neurological deficits, respiratory deficits, and people don't, there's kidney issues that are a result of inflammation. Um, There's so many different potential downstream effects of traumatic hospital stays that, you know, anyone really is at risk for with COVID-19. Why would you take that risk when we have a much more measured, respected, 
way to, to circumvent that crisis entirely. And I think by posing that alternative, you really catch people exposing their biases. Now, again, not towards uh, the potential side effects, but really they're just trying to resist something that they think is new. Um, and I think isolating that helped me understand the mentality of people who um, resist resist the vaccine. For sure. I think part of I think part of that also has to do with um, the common misconception that COVID-19 is just like, you know, a novel common cold, right? There's that whole misconception of, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Why do we need to get vaccinated for this? That sort of thing. And a friend of mine was telling me that her, so it turned out her whole family got COVID and her dad was in the ICU for like about a month. And when he came out and he was fully recovered from COVID. Well, he didn't, here's the thing though. He didn't actually fully recovered. Like he's still suffering the effects of the effects of COVID. Like for instance, she was telling me that he can't even walk up like five stairs without panting and being out of breath as if he ran a marathon. Like this is serious stuff. And there's like long-term effects that come with contracting COVID. Whereas with the vaccine, like you said, you know, you feel feverish for a day, you have a sore arm for a couple of days and it's really nothing. And it's, it stops the propagation of like the virus spread. Um, and I think another thing that scared me as well, like is how people can fall victim to misinformation, right? Cause the common misconception with that as well is like, Oh, they, well, they clearly, well, they're clearly not that all that smart. And that's probably why they fell victim to this sort of thing. But really with the media, it's, it's framed like an echo chamber, right? You know, you look up, you look up a couple things. There's algorithms that support your point of view, and you just get kind of stuck. And for me, I definitely noticed that with my friend. Like he's one of these smartest people I know, and yet he is believing all this misinformation. So for me, that's something that definitely stuck out in my mind. Um, I don't know about. You. I actually wrote a series of um, of claims that we're going to debunk uh, live on the air. Um, Nebras and Naomi, like, feel free to chime in. And Eldridge, like, if you know about, if you want to these, these well, are like, the experts here. Chime in. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I guess the first one that came up for me, I, I wrote it down. It's official, guys. Um, the first one that I wrote down was that um, M- mRNA vaccinations can cause blood clots at any moment because of gene packets embedded in the vaccine. Um, and I guess I'll just... Ask Nibras and I, I'll ask both of you specifically, and Naomi and Nibras, like, why, why is that false? Well, I think, well, I, I'll put a disclaimer, which is I am not a physician. So I okay, think. Okay. <laughs> we'll, put, we'll put that out there. Yeah, yeah, so I, well, I do work in a lab and I do feel like I have an understanding of some of the mechanisms. So my knowledge is not by, all, by any means all encompassing. But um, the misinformation that vaccines cause uh, cause blood clots is, I think, the symptom of hypervigilance on the part of the EU, uh, which I respect to some extent, right? Which, of course, is important to follow up with your patients. Make sure that once you're giving them this new vaccine, no serious adverse effects happen as it pertains to the vaccine. But... Because they're so hypervigilant, if anything bad happens, they have to report it. And of course, that's important for transparency reasons. But if something unrelated to the vaccine happens, like, say, for example, a blood clot, um, 
then people might go on guard and say, oh, well, what's going to happen? Is this because of the vaccine? And if there's no plausible mechanism, of which there is none, what are gene packets? How does that cause clotting? Uh, I have no clue how you can draw that line of con- uh, you know, conclusions there. Um, well, the, the DNA, right, is or the RNA, rather, the mRNA, is delivered in these lipid vesicles that are kind of deposited uh, into these cells. And they're so small, <laughs> like not even like in a physical sense, but literally on like mRNA is one of the smallest things that you could probably induce into the cell and also cause this sort of immune effect. So there's no plausible mechanism. And this comes from the fact that they've recorded cases of blood clots and people have gotten the vaccine. And even of those cases that are reported, it's less common than it would be if it, they monitored the population on the whole. And uh, yeah, so it's purely just because they are aware of the blood clot and they have gotten the vaccine. There's no biological mechanism linking the two, and there's no reason to really think that. Yeah, I want to echo everything Nibrus just said. There really is no way to connect those two things, um, gene packets and blood clots. And I just also wanted to say that um, for information like that, I feel like again, it comes all back to doing your own research, maybe research what a gene packet is and how blood clots are actually formed. And also looking at the information that's coming out about um, that's drawing these comparisons, where is the information coming from? Number one, we, we know where it's coming from, but you should do your own research. Where is it coming from? And number two, what are the demographics of these people who are having blood clots? Are these people your age having blood clots or are they people who have comorbidities or other factors that might also cause blood clots? So just make sure you do your own research. Absolutely, for sure. Um, yeah, so we have, yeah. Um, thank you so much for debunking that. Now we're on to the next one. Um, so there's another, there's also uh, people that are saying that the COVID-19 vaccine is causing deaths. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we we know why that's not true, but like just for the listeners, like let let's debunk that like Naomi why like why is that not true is it all just coincidental or yeah again I feel like it comes down like just to for someone to come out and say COVID-19 vaccines are causing deaths there's so much information missing from that sentence like how old are these people who are supposedly dying from the COVID-19 vaccine um what how like did they have an allergic reaction to the COVID-19 vaccine did they go into anaphylactic shock because they themselves were like individualistically allergic to this vaccine then that is a possible way that someone could like possibly that's the only possible way someone could, could die from the vaccine other than that like if you're not allergic to the vaccine it's not you're not gonna die from it there, fair enough. That's the only, yeah, that's the only possible way. Mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so another thing that I heard as well is that coronavirus vaccines damage innate immunity and make us more easily susceptible to succumbing to the virus? Question mark? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I... No, I'm sorry, I'm frustrating you guys. <laughs> no, it's no that's... I mean, you don't like uh... debunk this... You know what I mean? It's like important. Yeah. And I, I can guarantee that 99% of the people who purport and send that information around cannot identify 
the parts of the innate immune response. <laughs> There's so many. We just learned that in my class, we're taking fundamentals of organ systems. We had to learn about all of the different. There are so many pro proteins that go into innate immunity. Number one, that is the whole. Um, that is what a vaccine is is targeting, kind of like trying to make sure your in your immune response actually is happening so that you have an innate immune response initially to get to an adaptive immune response, which is what you ultimately want to make sure that your body um, remembers the mm -hmm. antibodies and like continues to produce them. So it, it, what was the what was the myth again? I, I just want to like make sure I'm specifically. No, all good. Um, so the myth. OK, I, I'll, I'll read it word for word so I don't mince anything. Um, so <laughs> coronavirus vaccines will damage our innate immunity and make us more easily susceptible to succumbing to the virus. Yeah, it's honestly the opposite of that statement. It's it's producing the immune response so that you can what if you do get it, your body knows exactly what to do. That's what it's for. Spitting straight facts right there. Spitting straight facts. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have I have two more and then, you know, we'll yeah. But I know it's frustrating to hear. So I'll I'll no, it's, through that. I, I love hearing it. We love to debunk them. Yeah. Um, so the fourth one that I want to bring up is uh, the more people get vaccinated, the more viral COVID will become because of mutations. Yeah. So that is more complicated, I think. It's not inherently um, complete. It's not it's not 100 percent immediately false. Right. Okay. I do think that. Or it's reported, right? For example, depending on the way that you vaccinate, and this is something that Dr. Fauci even talks about. Um, for example, in England, where they're breaking from kind of what is traditionally um, thought to be, or, or studied to be the regimen for the vaccine, where if they give everyone the first shot, then, uh, and they'll give the second shot later at, at a time where they get, they get the second shot available. Epidemiologists do plausibly think that that potentially could in some cases, and there's a slim chance, potentially, it could lead to variants. There's a very, very slim chance, but there is a very real threat right now to getting serious illness from the variant that is circulating all around us. <laughs> and it, it is possible that we do have to have a new COVID booster shot every single year. That's personally what I think could it could be a very real possibility that you have to take a new COVID booster shot every year. But there's a real threat right now of a variant that could very well uh, cause serious harm. And so we have a vaccine for that. So you should take that. Um, this is something that I've also been thinking a lot about recently. I'm trying to, I'm going to explain it how I kind of like talked about it with my mom. If you think about influenza, when that first was was a really big thing because no one really had a vaccine for it. No one knew how to treat it. They were probably having the same thoughts that we're having now, having a bit of the same panic that we're having now. And now it's very common to get the flu shot every year. Every year, scientists research what the, the flu that's going to probably be in season that year is going to be, and they produce a flu shot. It's probably like in the next five or 10 years, it might not, it's not going to be as um, shocking or as hard as it is now because we're going to have so much more information. There's going to be a, have, they're going to have had so much more time in order to produce more vaccines for whatever strains might um, pop up. 
So for right now, for the strain that we, the strains that we are seeing right now, the vaccines that we have, will just will do the trick. It will it will make sure that when you have, if you catch it, you just won't have the severe symptoms. And I think that's important to note that like that's this is for right now. You should do everything within your power to make sure that we can at least return to a normal life right now. And if they have to make more vaccines, they will. And that's just something that they will have to do. And if you have, if you don't want to take the the booster shots, you might get COVID later. But um, yeah, it's just something that they're going to have to do. <laughs> and sorry, I don't want to mince words because I know that potentially, you know, a COVID denier yeah, could hear what I said and, and then just be like, oh no, okay, see, it causes variants. But there is a less chance of causing variants the more people get vaccinated. So if you'd want there to be zero chance of there to be variants, or at least limit that as much as possible, get vaccinated so those variants don't pop up. The more people that get COVID, the bigger chance that when a virus is replicating, it has that mutation. So get that vaccine soon before that variant wreaks serious havoc. There's already some studies showing that the Brazilian variant or the South African variant might be somewhat resistant to certain parts of the vaccine. It could be much worse, but let's present, let's prevent that possibility from happening by getting the vaccine, limiting the chances of mutations. So getting the vaccine will limit it, but that's not to say that if it, uh, um, it will 100% absolve the possibility of a potential mutation in the future. So I want to be clear, sorry, I didn't want to, uh, you know, spread any potential misinformation there. No, good. Yeah. I mean, and also like, I had no, I, yeah, I didn't even think about that personally. Like I had, I didn't even come to mind for me that COVID-19 would end up being one of those things where you would have to get a booster shot for it every year. So I guess you learn something new every day. Like that's, that's fascinating. Um, And Naomi, you also brought up a good point in regards to like, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. In terms of like people getting introduced to like the influenza shot for the first time and being skeptical about that. It kind of reminds me of how like the polio vaccine started to roll out in the fifties. Cause at that time that was like a really big deal. And if you got it, it was crippling and people would be in like, you know, these tanks that would like allow people to breathe on their own. That would, that would kind of help people breathe on their own. And so like, I'm sure at that time when the vaccine came out in the fifties, people were like freaking out about it, but you know, through, the more people got it, like, you know, it, it, now it's almost completely eradicated. Like there's probably 83 cases, maybe, you know what I mean? So but I guess that, you know, further emphasizes like the importance of getting vaccinated. Um, yeah. And I guess um, for the last thing to debunk here, um, you, we talked about blood clots, but there's another one that's blood related. COVID-19 vaccines can lead to a drop in platelet count and in turn lead to bleeding disorders such as hemorrhages or profuse bleeding. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's kind of like both sides of it's like some people think that it causes too much clotting. Some people think that it causes too little clotting. It's, you, you, you have to pick something, right? <laughs> uh, and Again, I, I think underlying all of these, again, it's easy to paint COVID deniers or people who purport misinformation as being the other and to say like, oh, the, I don't know what these people are thinking. But in truth, they are embodying cynicism to some extent, which I think any serious scientist, any serious person should be a cynic. Of course, you should doubt and you should dig for information yourself. But what separates people who purport misinformation from people who actually are cynic, look up the data and then say, okay, never mind. 
my cynicism was misplaced or my cynicism. Yeah, it was misplaced. I, I you know, I, I was wrong. And I think where you draw the line between what you'll believe inherently, you have to continue that train of thought. If you're a cynic, you have to try to doubt, you know, this could be misinformation too. Let me try to see something that I can't refute. And ultimately that comes down to the peer reviewed journals and comes into the scientists. And if you don't want to look through those peer reviewed journals, that's why we have those public health professionals. That's why we have Dr. Fauci. Uh, so we have um, white house coronavirus task force teams to, trying to help you through that if you don't want to do your research uh, or if you don't want to dig through research yourself. Another one, the, 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 these, um, some of these myths are making me think of another myth that I keep hearing pop, pop up everywhere. And that's that the mRNA, the mRNA vaccines are going to somehow change your DNA. And I'm, I'm wondering if that is maybe where some of this is coming from. Um, and I just kind of want to talk about that as well, because I know a lot of people have been talking about that it could change your DNA. And the, MR, the mRNA um, itself won't go into the nucleus, so it'll never even come in contact with your DNA. So it can't really inherently change anything in your DNA and cause you to have to develop some sort of genetic illness or genetic disease. So I'm just wondering if that's maybe where some of that's coming from. I just wanted to say that. No, for sure. Thank you for bringing that up. Cause that's something that's one of the ones that I heard as well, that it like changes your DNA. And I, I did, I've, I didn't believe that, but like, I'm sure there's people out there that do that. Don't that didn't do the research that don't quite understand like how all that works. But um, yeah, Nibros, you also touched upon a really interesting point in regards to like um, how, you know, the public health experts and the coronavirus task force are there for, to kind of act as like a supplemental version of the peer reviewed research. Because I think a lot of where this misinformation is coming from is that people are like, oh, how come we're not knowing enough about this? They're not giving us enough information in regards to the science and how everything works. They're just telling us to get vaccinated. And I, that's kind of what I've heard from a couple of friends of mine that are a little bit skeptical. So I'm glad that that was like touched upon as well to kind of clear that up. Um, yeah. And I guess, um, in regards, this is like a much more um, like simpler question because we did we did go through a lot of science. Um, actually, wait, we should talk about the difference between the three vaccines. So I guess that's an important thing to mention as well, because they're all three of them are very different. But um, yeah, I was just wondering, like, you know, what you guys know in terms of what's the difference between the three vaccines in terms of how that works. So. Um, I mentioned that like Pfizer and Moderna were the mRNA vaccines um, mm -hmm. and I can talk about and also but Johnson & Johnson is a viral vector vaccine so I can talk about like what an mRNA vaccine is versus a viral vector vaccine. Yeah. So the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines um, as mRNA vaccines they teach your cells in how to make a protein that triggers an immune response. So the mRNA goes into your cells and it makes a protein, it makes the little proteins that would be on COVID-19 itself, and your body makes antibodies to those proteins. So when your body encounters COVID-19, it's like, I, I've seen those before somewhere. I, I've, I think I've gotten rid of those before. So it goes and it attacks them because it's seen them before. And um, that's, how it, that's how your body develops immunity. Um, and then for the Johnson & Johnson, COVID-19 vaccine as a viral vector vaccine. What that means is that they, um, a viral vector vaccine is a modified version of a different harmless virus, which is the vector. And it, it's used to deliver like instructions to the cells in order to start building protection. 
So the instructions are delivered in the form of genetic material, and it tells your body to produce um, either proteins or, well, yeah, to produce the spike proteins that would be on COVID-19. And again, your body's like and producing these antibodies for it. And it's like when COVID comes in, I've seen that before. I know how to fight this thing. I'm going to get rid of it right now. So they get rid of it. And that's how your body builds antibodies and builds its protection. For sure. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up. Um, Cause there is like, there's a common, yeah. Cause there are two very different vaccines. I just wanted to kind of touch upon the science of it really quickly. Um, I also did a wee bit of research um, before, this, <laughs> before this recording session, because I actually, I don't know much about vaccines either. Like I am not, I mean, not either. Sorry. I don't know much about vaccines myself. Cause I'm not like a STEM. No, you, you can fit me into that. To that yeah. sentence. <laughs> no, I'm not like, a, I'm not a STEM person whatsoever. This is like not my wheelhouse. So I did a wee bit of research and I noticed like a lot of people have been dogging the Johnson and Johnson vaccine specifically because the efficacy rates are apparently much lower. They're only at 66% compared to Moderna and Pfizer, which are at 90%. Um, and I watched a video on this and like, you can fact check me or like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, um, you know, the, when the trials were conducted as well as like how they were conducted is super important to note because from what I heard, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine was conducted in multiple different countries at the time when both the Brazilian variant and the South African variant were were very much present. Right. So that's going to affect like what the efficacy rate is compared to Moderna and Pfizer being tested earlier on where those variants weren't really much. They weren't as widespread. So the efficacy rate is going to be higher. But from what I've heard, apparently the efficacy rate doesn't matter. And either way, the three vaccines, all three of them are equally as effective and in, in preventing severe symptoms and hospitalization. Um, yeah, <laughs> you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but that's what I, I remember watching a video on it and that's, they, that's how they explained it. But yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of different ways you could report the statistics. And of course, the most common one is, you know, the, the, the chances of getting any illness at all, or, um, and of course that's the one that is easiest to brand something with, but underlying, this 95, 94.5%, uh, the 70 or 60, uh, 66%, depending on which study you're looking at it for Johnson and Johnson. Uh, underlying all of that is a nearly 100% uh, efficiency rate in preventing serious illness. So yeah, you're 100% right with that. And the vaccines are 100% capable of preventing serious illness. And I think that is what we're all scared of. Having sniffles for a day because you have COVID, it, and the 30% chance difference to get those sniffles is not something you should really care about. You should be happy that you're not, at no, you're no longer at risk of dying or contracting a serious long-term impact from this illness. And on top of that, you're less likely to pass it on to others. So the overwhelming benefit is still there for all three of the vaccines. And it's just this very marginal difference. And uh, Hannah, like you said, it could even be attributed to trial design um, for some of these vaccines. So it, it, this is such a small thing. It's You can't afford to be a perfectionist with vaccines. It's <laughs> You're going to get the one that works and yeah. you should take it if you can. For sure, especially because they're so hard. They're so hard to come by. Um yeah, sorry, Eld sorry, Eldridge, you probably didn't expect like a science lesson here, but I no, just- it's so good. I mean, I, I did learn that as I went. Yeah. Um, 
Hannah, I think you did a good sum up about the uh, the percentage rate. I think I, I probably watched the same video because when you were talking about, it, I was like, oh yeah, this sounds familiar. I think it was something I, I either read or looked up to. <laughs> um, but I think one thing I want to add is, uh, I know at least I, I want to speak for the majority, but I know my mom for for her um, circumstance, you know, she she got vaccinated as well. And I think something that we've all been touching talking about, but really hasn't come out and said it, is just that. This is just a vaccine. It's not a cure. And I think Naomi might have brought that up in the beginning of, of this uh, podcast, talking about you know uh, HIV and cancer and stuff like that. Um, those are totally different things, and that's more of looking for a cure and not a vaccination. Uh, vaccination and, and what we all touched them on is just to help us prevent from going to the hospital, help us prevent from being you know morally sick. And my mom, you know, when she got vaccinated, she thought she was cured. I was like, mom, like no, that's that's not the case. It's not a cure. Um, and I, I do believe that in the future, this is something that we're going to have to get boosters uh, in, the, in a yearly basis, kind of like the flu shots. Uh, when I try to break it down that to her, she she was a little less hopeful because um, she thought this was behind her. Um, but, you know, now that she knows, it's like, all right, well, I'm not cured because uh, I still could get sick. And I think that's something that's important to for people to know. It's just vaccination is exactly what it is. It's vaccination. It's not going to cure you from catching COVID. You, you know, God forbid you still get it. But if you do get it, um, instead of spending, God forbid, uh, you know, in the ICU, you'll just spend like a couple of days in your bed. Fair point. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up as well, because a lot of, there's a lot of people, not a lot of people, but there's like some people that I know that got vaccinated and they're like, okay, I'm vaccinated. Like, you know, all the rules go completely out the window. I don't even need to wear a mask around. And that's like, no, 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 hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Stop right there. Um, yeah, but I guess to kind of one thing I this is more like a simpler question. And I know Eldridge, like you you touched upon this previously before. Um, but just like for like personally for you guys, like why why did you get vaccinated? Um, I'll start. Um, I'll just you know echo what I said earlier. I, I just feel like I owed it to my brother and I owed it to the people I surround myself with. Um, you know, uh, and I'll be upfront. I'm not one to get vaccinated. Uh, I get the flu shot once in the blue. Um, this past year, I definitely got it just in case I did, you know, come down with COVID. And, you know, thank God I didn't. Um, but for this for this circumstance, I'm probably moving forward. Um, just this is much, such an eye-opening experience for me, you know, 2020. Uh, I definitely learned about things that I didn't know about when it comes to our health and and. and things to prevent us from, you know, getting sick. And, you know, uh, moving forward, for sure, uh, I want to protect myself, you know. Uh, you have one body, and you want to make sure you take care of it. Um, and if vaccination is part of that solution, then, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start doing that. Um, but for sure, I got vaccinated um, because my brother, uh, and quite honestly, I, I, just, I didn't want to die. God forbid I, I did catch something. And if... The side effects of vaccinations of the Johnson Johnson that had me on my bed for almost three days straight um, is any sign of what the actual virus could have done to me. I told my girlfriend uh, every now and then, like, I, I really wish it was me that caught it and not my brother. Because, um, you know, he he, he would have been 50 and, you know, he did have had underlying health condition as well. But I kept telling her, like, I think I had a good chance of fighting it and, you know, be okay. But that vaccination kicked my butt. And, you know, it just makes me think about like, what if I did catch the actual virus? Like, 
I don't want to play with with those odds. For sure. For me, um, I think I mentioned before having asthma. And I know like a lot of people have asthma. It doesn't really sound like a lot, but for my asthma exacerbations always get worse when I get sick. And it's worse to the point where I always like, it's like, like I get sick once a year, not once a year, I get a cold a couple of times a year, but usually around the winter time, I'll get a really bad cold and then I'll end up in the hospital because of my asthma. So I knew that if I caught COVID, which specifically um, targets your respiratory tract and targets your lungs, if I had caught it, I, it just, I felt like it would have maybe be game over for me. I definitely would have ended up in the ICU. So I just wanted to make sure that I had myself protected. Um, that was one of my main reasons. My second reason I told you, I, I live really close to my grandmother and I want to make sure that if I do catch it, I, I get over it quickly so I don't have enough time to kind of spread it to my family. My family is very close-knit and we all interact with each other. And I think my biggest fear, um, even though I felt like if I got it, it would be very bad for me, was not getting it. It was passing it on to a family member, like passing it on to my grandmother and having something happen to her. That was my bigger fear. So I wanted to make sure that I limited the amount of time that if I caught it, I would get it. And I also want to be able to go back to school in the fall. So hashtag backs up CUNY. Yeah, I have to plug that in. I definitely <laughs> want to be able to go back to school. So that's another reason why I got vaccinated. Yeah, and I think for me, it was definitely uh, like Naomi, a, a much more social reason where it's I don't want to spread it to someone else. I think that, uh, well, personally, I mean, I, I have asthma as well, but for me, I wasn't too worried about the implications of the illness itself. For me, it was, I don't want to spread it to my dad who has diabetes and people who have diabetes are, are several fold more likely to go to the hospital or end up in the hospital as a result of complications for COVID-19. Um, for me, it was being worried spreading it to my grandma who just by virtue of being elderly is at increased risk for a, a, a wide variety of different complications. And then, even if that people in my immediate circle, um, granted, I'm not necessarily coming in contact with my grandmother, but I still don't want to spread it to someone who might, who, who might spread it to someone else, who might spread it to someone else. Because once you spread it to someone and you give them that COVID call, which fortunately I haven't received those COVID calls of, um, <laughs> you know, hey, sorry, I didn't want to let you know that, you know, I've come in contact with someone with COVID, you know, uh, and uh, it's it's really scary because it causes a ripple effect where it's not only you who's spreading to other people, but that other person could have potentially spread to other people, and then all of a sudden you have a chain, and that is literally how vi the, <laughs> the virus spreads, unfortunately. So even if I just didn't want to partake in the spread, I cannot have that on my shoulders. I don't. I, I'm studying. I hopefully want to be a physician one day. I don't want to do harm to others, right? That's part of the Hippocratic oath. Is you know don't don't do harm and. I, for me, that was a principal reason is I don't want to harm someone or at least take part in something that might spread it to someone else. And of course, it's if you find out that you have it, there's nothing you can do except quarantine. But if you have a way of preventing that from happening or limiting that chance by getting vaccinated, that, that for me was the first. And then, of course, there's the added fear of the unknown long term complications of COVID and people just re reporting super minor things like sometimes I forget some things and people are linking that to potential neurological defects and uh, those who have had COVID. So there's a lot of uncertainty there and I just didn't want to take all of those chances. 
Fair. Yeah, I definitely, for me, it was primarily social reasons as well, though the long-term effects were definitely in the back of my mind. I mean, for me, because after, after Brookdale, well, after Brookdale was shut down and we had to evacuate and stuff, um, I quarantined with my mom just until late January. And then I ended up back at the dorms. But for me, like my biggest fear was passing the virus on to my mom. And the thing is like, she's, she is a super healthy person and she works out every day, like eats super clean and healthy, like healthier than me. But she's, you know, she is, she's 55. And so, you know, just with being older, I mean, she's not over 65, but she's still like in her mid fifties, like she is at increased risk of, you know, suffering from like severe symptoms of COVID. So for me, um, I couldn't, part of me just didn't want to pass it on to anyone else. And I've, I can't even imagine the guilt that would come with that as well. Like, um, so my mom's cousin actually ended up getting COVID and passing it to her parents and her mom passed away from COVID and like ended up like in the hospital and for weeks on end. And she ended up passing away from COVID-19. And for me personally, I just thought to myself, like, I can't even imagine like the insurmountable guilt that, that comes with that. It's like, Oh, if only, if only I stayed home that day, if only I didn't meet up with a couple of friends that time, you know what I mean? So I think for me, um, I didn't want to risk any of that and have that be on my mind. And I, yeah. And I didn't want to pass it to anybody else. And another thing as well was definitely the, you know, going back to classes as well was like, a big thing is, you know, because for me, I mean, everyone struggles with remote learning of, you know, a lot mo- more people than not. But for me, like the longer that this has been going on, like with remote learning, the more difficult it has been to like focus and concentrate and really be into like my studies. And for me, like being back in person next semester, hopefully would be like the dream. Um, so that's something that I kind of kept in mind as well in addition to the long-term effects. I mean, I know people that got COVID that didn't get a sense of taste or smell back at all. Like someone might, there was a good friend of mine that's my age that got it, that just lost his sense of taste and smell. And when he has chocolate, it tastes like, it just tastes like nothing. It tastes like metal. Um, So just, and that's, and that's, that's him being lucky. That's like the lucky symptoms, right? Let alone like the neurological effects of like the brain fog and also the respiratory illness that we were talking about earlier. So I just didn't want to even mess with experiencing any of that either. Um, yeah, but Eldridge, you were going to say something earlier. So I didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh, that's fine. I, I probably forgot. I, 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 something that just popped in my head, like how you guys feel now that, you know, you're vaccinated, like, uh, is there a sense of relief? Is there like, like for me personally, like, like, you know, how I started off the story, I was so scared about Corona and, you know, going outside and, and, you know, I, my girlfriend and I, you know, definitely tested our relationship, you know, being quarantined for so long. Uh, and then she was a great support system. And I, I know at times she and I kind of bumped heads about, you know, let's, why are you going to go out? Like, there's no reason for you to go out. And, you know, to her credit, you know, she, she, had my, you know, had my back, like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna do it for you. Uh, but since I got vaccinated, you know, that's slowly, you know, weight of like fear just kind of like gradually came off my shoulders. Where before I got vaccinated, you know, she and I, if we went out somewhere, we'll take an Uber. And 
that thing adds up. Like we're not rich, so you know, I avoided public transportation as long as I can. And and for the past month, I, I've gotten a little more comfortable. Like, all right, well, if we're gonna take the train, we can take the train. We're gonna take the bus, we can take the bus. Uh, so I, I just feel a little more at ease. And, and if anyone who's listening to this, you know, has a similar story or has a similar feeling to me of like being so scared to come outside because of what the unknown that you know awaits outside. Uh, if you get vaccinated, you know, I, I could promise you, you know, that that anxiety slowly, you know, starts going away. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, like I, I was commuting uh, to work several times a week and I had to make a very long commute from Long Island uh, to uh, the Upper East Side. So I had to take one really long F train all the way there, be driven. And, you know, there's all these other kind of potential touch points with other people along the way. And I was super neurotic every single time I would double mask. I would put on a hand sanitizer religiously. And I like, I would stay as far away from everyone on the train as possible. If I don't care if there's an open seat, if you're six feet uh, from me, I'm just going to stand in the corner and I don't care if my legs get tired. I'll stand the whole hour train ride. Like I, for me, that, that persistent neuroticism was always there and it should be there, right? <laughs> it should be there to some extent, granted, not perhaps to my extent where I was thinking about it perhaps too often, but it should be there. You should be somewhat worried. You shouldn't be completely relaxed and okay with doing everything. There should be caught. There be, should be some level of caution as long as COVID-19 is spreading at the rate that it is. Um, but that's not to, that's not to say that you can't be optimistic. I think you can still ease up a little bit once you have that vaccine. Statistically, you're significantly less likely to spread it and contract it. So you can take a a breath of fresh air through a mask, of course, uh, perhaps a double mask. And it it does reduce that risk. And for me, that that was just – that was worth, I think – I was going to say it was worth the, there was no cost. So there, there was, it's not worth it. It was just invaluable to me. And I think I'm forever grateful for part of the reason why I'm grateful for that job. Yeah. I think my biggest fear um, before, like before the vac, before getting vaccinated, before I even knew if I was going to be able to get vaccinated because it was still just people over 65 or people over 50 was taking this anatomy class that I have to start in a couple weeks, how they were going to somehow manage for us to take that class. Cause it is literally impossible to teach us about the body without us looking at a body. Like, do you, would you want a doctor that never touched a body in the, during their school career? Yeah. So I'm really so happy that they were able to give us um, the vaccine or allow us to at least have the option to go get the vaccine so that we could go in and, and have our classes. And also Next semester, I'm supposed to take a class where we start actually talking to patients. It's called practice of medicine. We start talking to patients and like kind of actually um, doing physicals and things like that. And I think it's really important to actually be able to do that in medical school. So um, I'm just really excited to be able to go back to school. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, yeah, in terms of... Uh, getting vaccinated. I, I should have prefaced this earlier. I forgot to say I got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. So it's just like one shot and done. Um, I just got it a week ago. So I'm still like kind of paranoid because I, you know, the antibody, you don't get a robust immune response to like 14 days after you're vaccinated. And then you're completely in the clear, probably around like 28 to 29 days after you've been vaccinated. So it takes like a month, but so I'm still like a little bit paranoid, but 
it definitely does give me peace of mind because there was a couple of times where, you know, I had a couple of close calls or like a friend of mine would call me and be like, oh, someone I know like got COVID and I hung and I hung out with that person and I was like, holy crap. Like, oh, and then it would, I would just feel so petrified and I wouldn't want to leave my house. And so it was just the whole, there was a sense of, yeah, I, I definitely felt the neuroticism that like, that a lot of people felt like during that time, but it definitely gives me peace of mind to know that I've been vaccinated. And I think now I feel a little bit more comfortable, like socializing with people and like going out the granted, like in small groups, but it's still like, I don't know. I feel like the neuroticism is easing up at least for me. Um, yeah. But I guess to like anybody that, you know, what would you tell somebody that is still, skeptical about vaccinations like after all the stuff that we've talked about like what advice would you give or like what message of reassurance would you give them i think i would personally just encourage everybody and i know i've said this so many times but just do your own research like, after, if you think anything that we've said sounds a little fishy, even if you don't think it sounded fishy, still do your own research. Like, try to back up all the things we said and actually, like, look into all the information and at least be informed before you make your decision. I think that's the most important thing. Don't just make a decision based off of um, other things that people are just telling you. Like, don't even take... Yeah, obviously, I want you to take our word, like take our word for it. But if you feel like you can't take our word for it, don't take our word for it. Do your own research and really just make sure you know before you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would do. You know, first thing. You know, first the first line is, what is the alternative for you, right? What if you get COVID, and then what are the costs and benefits of getting the vaccine? Which, and I think almost universally held or should be universally held, the costs are far outweighed by the benefits of getting the vaccine. But even if that wasn't the case, right? What if you spread it to someone else? Could you live with that burden of potentially spreading it and potentially partaking in that chain of spread that could potentially lead to someone's death? Um, and if that does not, if the social responsibility doesn't affect you, if the personal health responsibility doesn't affect you, then one, I would say, you know, what exactly is your motivation here? If you're just a healthy skeptic, I would say, good, you're a skeptic. So criticize that Facebook image that you're looking at. <laughs> if it's a deep fried meme, you don't want to be sending it around to other people. Once you see all this level of compression on it, it's, how is that trustworthy? <laughs> Tell me how an image with big bold text is trustworthy when there's no citation or anything behind it. So if you're a cynic, then be a cynic, but be consistent and seriously look at the evidence that's being purported to you. I, I, I very much agree with what Naomi said. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, I think the two of you, you know, hit the nail on the coffin on that one. I, I don't know how I would be able to, like, change someone's mind or change someone's opinion. Uh, um, <sighs> Oh, it, it's a good question. I was trying to think of something to say, and I just don't want to ramble on. But, um, you know, I, I think it's just more of, you know, are you, I don't want to say, are you tired of, you know, the life we're living in right now? But, you know, there's fatigue. Um, and I think, you know, everyone's touching on it, and you'll do it for the person next to you. Like, you don't want to have that burden of, 
getting a relative or you know your neighbor who might be elderly sick you know there's there's times that i think about who's the person that got my brother sick and what i would do to that person if i met him him or her and it crosses my mind every now and then um like I don't know for sure if he got it at work. I don't know if he got it commuting to work, but someone passed it to him. And how's that person feel about it? Like, do you want to have that guilt of putting someone's family, you know, like he has four kids. Um, the youngest is eight, nine. And she's going to, you know, grow up with our father for the rest of her life. You know, his oldest is 26 still a young man. He's not going to have a father for the rest of his life. And if you're okay, you know, taking the chance of breaking a family apart for whatever reason it is, political or selfish, like, you know, just do your part, you know, be part of the solution, I guess. And I think that's something I would say to, to someone who's skeptic about it. Yeah. No, I, I definitely echo what all of three of you have said. Um, and I guess to add on to that, like, I think the thing about COVID that's one of the things that it's highlighted is like a lot of the socioeconomic inequalities that exist in our society today um, in regards to the systemic racism that's embedded in, in at least like how patients are treated within public health care um, in regards to, you know, how it's been, there's studies that have shown that, you know, black people are more susceptible to suffering from, severe like symptoms and hospitalization and death from COVID compared to white people. And part of that does have to do with like the inequalities that exist in our society. Right. And we want to go back to normal, but the, the, in, I'm putting that in quotes, but with the vaccine, it gives us the opportunity to go back to a world that's better than normal so that we can analyze the issues that are at hand and really focus on those and figure out solutions to those things. And I think with, us still being in the midst of COVID and everything that's going on, it's just going to perpetuate those injustices, right? So I think even through getting vaccinated, it allows us to really look at the bigger picture and realize that there's bigger fish to fry here. Um, yeah, so we want to go back to, the vaccine gives us the opportunity to go back to a society, a world that's better than normal and to like make that happen. Um, so I fully support, yeah, I mean, yeah, I fully support getting vaccinated. I think it's super important. And, um, yeah, you, go, you brought up a good point. Um, you know, 2020 wasn't just about COVID, you know, racial injustices. And the biggest difference from, you know, Black Lives Matter, you know, pre-COVID to where we're at now is just in 2020, that's all we were able to focus on. Like, there was no other distraction. Like, we couldn't go outside. We couldn't, you know, go to a party. We couldn't watch a movie. We couldn't go to a ball game. Everything was in front of us. And we were able to kind of really take in what's going on in, in our world. And, you know, Hannah, you brought up a good point. Like, yeah, we got vaccinated, but what are we gonna do with this vaccination? Are we gonna go back to the old norms or are we gonna make a positive change? And really, like like you said, like really just bunker down and, and, and figure out and try to solve these issues. For sure, yeah. Um, and I guess, um, I, that was actually the final question that I had for you guys today. Um, but do you have any like final thoughts or anything that you want to say before we wrap up or anything? I guess on the note of optimism, which is, you know, I just can't wait for that day when, you know, 
we can take off the masks and walk around and not freak out about particles floating in the air. <laughs> I just, I'm so used to it. And uh, my ears will definitely not miss uh, the mask. And uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just so excited. I, I feel like it's going to be, you know, I feel like everyone is just going to have this renewed kind of lease on life and interaction. And I just, it's almost going to be like the Roaring Twenties again, so I'm uh, I'm excited. Hopefully, not followed by Great Depression, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Um, yeah, and I guess uh, on that, unless you want to, unless Eldridge or Naomi, you want to add anything to that? Um, I'm just ready but... to get rid of mask me. The acne that these masks have been causing on my face is crazy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, for sure. Um, yeah. Um, no, I think the neighbor said it best. Uh, I'm just excited to finally be able to take off the mask and and just finally go back to a ball game, go back to a Yankee game. I, I miss Yankee Stadium. Uh, granted, I was there for you know a total of eight minutes to get vaccinated, uh, but I can't wait to get back to a ball game. Uh, my girlfriend, like you know, we talk about it. And like you know, they, they have it at I think what ten thousand people right now, and I think month by month they might bump it up. Um, but for sure, I'm definitely excited to, you know, get over this and, and have this in our rearview mirror. And, and Hannah, thank you again for, for having us here tonight and uh, talk about this really important subject. Yeah, thanks so much, Hannah. No, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. This was this was such amazing. Like, you, this was so amazing. Sorry, you guys were such incredible <laughs> guests and you all made like super insightful points. And it was great to like have you know, cause everyone here has like a different perspective on this whole experience. So it was interesting to kind of touch upon all those different nuances. So yeah, thank you so much. And um, yeah, so this is tea for three where we sip the tea and spill the deets. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye y'all. Mm-hmm.